Hello fellow Blue Earthers and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm Laura Nesbitt and my guests today are Tom McKillicuddy and Matt Latham, co-founders of Circa 5000, an app which lets people invest their money in sustainable businesses. As you'll hear, Tom and Matt set up their company as a way of helping people put their money into more meaningful and impactful places. Although they're fairly upfront about the fact there is no such thing as a perfect company to invest in. The pair are huge advocates for helping people understand how their money is being spent and spoiler alert, I left our conversation feeling inspired to learn more about impact investing and maybe even put a few pounds in myself. Good morning, Tom and Matt. It is lovely to have you on the podcast today. How are you both? Yeah, great to be here. Thank you. So the summit is next week. Exciting times. And Tom, you're attending for Circa 5000 this year. What will you be discussing? So um, I'm on a panel on the Tuesday, which is about what it means to make good money. Um, And so using money as a force for good in the world, if it's possible. And then... uh, on the Wednesday, I'm doing a talk um, about all things impact investing. So yeah, looking forward to it. And is there such a thing as good money? And I'm assuming then that would mean by association that bad money also exists. Uh, yes, I would say so. Um, so we, you know, the thing that we do is impact investing, which is investing for financial return, but also to deliver intentional, measurable, positive social and environmental impact. So that would be good money uh, in our view. And I think there's lots and lots of examples of bad money and things that we don't do uh, on the opposite side. So yeah, I definitely think there is both. And how did Circa 5000 come about? We've been around since 2019. We launched under the we, we were a different brand back then. We, we were Ticker, but we we rebranded late last year to Circa 5000. We felt that brand was more aligned with our objectives, which is all about long-term investing and thinking forward to the to the far-flung future and how we all want to invest in a way to realise a world that we'd like to live in for the long term. But um, the way that the company was originally the original idea came about was that Tom and I were both working in investment management in different forms. And back then, ethical investing was probably the term or sustainable investing. But we both in different ways became aware of impact investing, which is the next level up, if you like. And we wanted to find a way to make impact investing available to normal everyday people looking to invest for their own future. So has ethical and sustainable investing sort of already had its time and that will slowly hold less weight in the future and that's why you guys moved into impact investing because you saw a gap in the market and thought this is where this is going? I think so. I mean, look, ethical and sustainable investing is still done. And I feel, I still think some of the people that haven't even begun to consider this kind of investing often use that as the first place to go to. But ethical, sustainable ESG types of investing, they're not designed in any way to have a positive impact on the world. They're just designed to avoid bad stuff. So what, to your first question, good money, bad money, they're just like neutral money. But yeah, so I would say that those are the forms of investing that you just described are like neutral money at best. And I think the only way in which we can have an impact on the world in a positive way and change things actually in the real economy for people is uh, by impact investing. And so I think that over time, it's our view that the, the, the entire industry will move quickly to impact investing. And that'll be the third dimension of investing alongside return and risk. Uh, and it'll be the thing that people do as a default option eventually. 
Yeah, I think I think the other thing is that ESG has become the industry term. So I think the professional investment market is aware of what ESG is and and its flaws and its its strengths and weaknesses. I think in the retail market where you know individuals are trying to invest their own pensions or their own ISA and things like that is often ESG funds are marketed as you know a, a real true real world solution for having a positive impact which is not the case i mean if you look under the hood of a lot of ESG funds they are just big companies they're just apple and microsoft and companies that aren't necessarily inherently bad but they're also not inherently having a positive impact on the world necessarily so how easy is it for you guys then as um, you know an impact investing company to be transparent about where people's money is going? So if I was to invest, you know, let's say £10,000 um, and at the end of the year, which I'm assuming is a, is a good time frame to, you know, levels of return, I guess. Um, and would you be able to be like, hey, Laura, yeah, we can see this, 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 this and this and we'll send it to you on a PDF report or something? Yeah, so I mean, I think in terms of investment returns, we'd definitely say that you need longer than a year, um, you know, to There you to go, earn. proof, proof that I know nothing about investing. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say that, you know, most of the people that are investing with us are doing so for the long term and, you know, four or five years as a minimum. Obviously, you you know, it's, it's liquid, so you can have access to your money and you can do it for less if you want, but um, we'd never really promote uh, investing um, on a short-term basis, really, because that's a surefire way of of losing yourself money. So what we do is long-term investing. If you think about it from from a from an impact perspective, we it's very easy for us to be transparent because we are proud of what people are investing in the background. The 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 average industry traditional industry player will not want you to see the underlying companies that you're invested in. We're the exact opposite, and so we show the underlying companies why we think they're an impact business, what impact they're having, um, and tie in that to 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 your money as closely as possible and that is exactly what our in-app experience is all about is bringing you closer to the real world impact that your investments are having through the companies you invest in on the ground so that that is our strength and our differentiation i would say versus anything else yeah i think the other thing that we would encourage people to do is that be aware of where they have money invested and try and be aware of what it's invested in so the big example of that is you know almost everybody in the uk has some form of a workplace pension scheme that they're paying into most people either don't know where that is or they don't know how much is in it and they certainly don't know what it's invested in. Some of the big UK workplace pension providers, it's almost impossible if you can do it at all to even find out what the holdings are in your investment account with them. So we're sort of trying to fly the flag for saying to people, go and find out your current and old workplace pension providers, go and find out what they're invested in and see if that fits with what you are comfortable uh, investing in for your own future. And why are they allowed to get away with such a lack of transparency and where and where the money is? Well, I think it's not necessarily getting away with it. It's just that, you know, and it cuts both ways. If people, people just go with the default scheme that they're put into with their own workplace and, and then their old schemes are just left when they leave previous jobs, then people don't uh, either not aware or just don't don't sort of consider it. It doesn't come into people's thinking. So, you know, if you if you dig and dig on some of these sites, you can find them and you get you you know if your address is up to date, you might get a statement. But they're not necessarily promoting engagement on these platforms because they just want you to forget about these things, leave them where they are, and they'll collect their fee every year. But you know, it's in your own best interest to understand what is yours and where it is and whether it fits with both your financial goals and also 
where you sit on in terms of wanting to have an uh, or make a positive impact with your money i would just add to that in terms of getting away with it is that that the demand for that transparency hasn't been as pronounced as it is now you know in the past so you've got a new wave of people that are looking to invest that uh, see their money as a tool and a force for good in the world and want to know where it is and what it's doing. I think that hasn't been as prevalent in the past as it is today. And I think that's a generational shift in people's attitudes to sustainability, the climate, social issues, and, and how they see their money uh, affecting the world. I can see from your website that the things that you've chosen to market that you're investing in are energy, water, food, health, education, and cyber security. Are those the only things that Circa 5000 invests in? There are a lot of the main catchment areas, the main, the main themes in which we invest, because what we're trying to, to, uh, to mix together are investable themes, i.e. areas of the financial markets with enough companies in them to produce a, uh, a balanced risk-aware investment portfolio from a financial sense, whilst also addressing some of the big areas that are kind of underpinned by the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So they represent what we think is the, the spectrum of impact investing within uh, listed equity markets. Um, but there are always new areas that are developing, which then become investable. For example, I mean, this may not be one of them, but, you know, ocean health, for example, it will, will form part of a, of an area of, of, a, a, of our investments in the future. It may not be a, a massive area because there's not a lot of businesses that are purely designed to take care of that and they're available for, uh, for us to invest in. And so it's what we think is available and what we think is most impactful. Do you have an average age of someone who invests with you guys? Yes, it's, it's 31, 32 is the average age. Oh, that's really interesting. I'm not far off that. I certainly don't get the luxury of the pensions that my parents are both entitled to. Um, they're on very lovely military pensions. And the kind of pension landscape has changed quite dramatically in the last 20 years. So why is it that people in their 20s and 30s should really consider that the luxuries that their parents have well will be afforded is not going to be the luxuries that they're afforded i mean i think it's a really important point obviously you're you're close to it if your if your parents have military pensions is that for the previous generation previous generations you know people had uh, what was called a defined benefit pension scheme which is if you work or, or more often had a defined benefit pension scheme which which meant that if you worked somewhere there was a promise of a certain level of income in your retirement regardless of how your pension pot performed during your working life so it was on the employer to ensure that they provided you with an income into retirement the pension market has changed now so the vast 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 majority of pension schemes are now what's called defined contribution which are more like a traditional savings account in other words you get out what you put in so it's really really important that people are very very aware of what their pension pot is and and how much they're putting into it and how they can grow it over time because the system now is you get out what you put in, not a promise of a, a guaranteed income into retirement. So this is why you should be aware of where your pension is invested. You should understand what the likely returns are over time of that pension, and you should be trying to maximise the contribution of it. And obviously, we would go one step further and say that you should be aligning your pension with the industries of the future and the, in, the companies building the future you want to live in in your retirement and you want your children to live in rather than the industries of the past and those legacy industri industries which they are more than certainly invested in now if you're not aware of where your pension is invested. Are they also running out of time? 
like all investing, I think the earlier you start, the more likely you are to make a return. So, you know, this is the power of compounding returns over time in investing time is your greatest friend so the sooner that you can start the more that you contribute earlier the less that you less hard your pot has to work in order to grow uh, in the future so that's true of all investing you know time is your friend and you and you you really need to uh, give your money the longest chance possible to to grow I noticed um, on one of your social media squares that you had a quote that said, the perfect sustainability activist does not exist. What do you guys mean by that? I think it applies to sustainable activist or it could apply to impact investing itself, which is the sense that if you were trying to find the perfect company to invest in, you would never make a single decision because there are always trade-offs with these companies that you invest in. So the, 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 the parallel to a, a, a company, you know, when we're assessing companies is we're looking at like a, a net positive impact company. So we're weighing up all the direct positives they have on the world through the thing that they sell, the service they deliver and the communities that they impact. But every single company has some negatives in it, whether that's supply chain related, something governance related, etc. And so what we do is we try and construct our themes and our investments into the companies that are having the most net positive impact on the world, not perfection. But if you're waiting for perfection on that, you would never make an investment. And I think the same goes for you know activism and, and whatever. We're trying to push the, the world forward in a, in a better place. And if we waited for everything to be perfect, it would be too late. You have just opened the gateway to ask, for me to ask... <sighs> I can't believe you just did that. So what is Circa 5000's downfall then? Go on, if you can't be perfect, where are you guys going wrong? I mean, I think I think I think there's a trade-off that we have to make in terms of the types of investments that we offer. So we're trying to do two things. We're trying to offer investments that have a positive impact, but we're also trying to get people to actually invest and we're trying to get people who are not millionaires and billionaires to invest. We're trying to get ordinary people to start investing for their own future. Now, there are very highly impactful investments out there that would score a 10 out of 10 on impact, but would be entirely unsuitable for a normal person to invest in, i.e. they're very, very high risk, or they're highly illiquid, or they're concentrated in a very risky market, things like that. So what we've tried to do is build a, a compromise portfolio, which is, you know, or a compromise investment offering, which is we offer a series of funds which are, you know, normal, everyday funds that tick the boxes for a normal retail investor they're liquid they're relatively low cost they're tradable on a normal exchange they're investing globally you know and and it sort of ticks those sort of checklist for a basic investment portfolio but are also as impactful as possible within that framework so we we will never hold our hands up and say we are the most impactful investments in the world ever but we are probably the best option out there for someone who just wants to invest their own money but doesn't want to do it in a way that's totally reckless for their own future as well. And what would be a minimum investment? The technical minimum on our platform is £5, but I mean, the caveat to that is if you put £5 in and wait 30 years, don't expect to retire on a yacht, you know. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we've put the £5 in there to make it make sure that that minimum investment isn't the barrier for someone getting started. But obviously... You know, we we're not we're not pretending that five pound will turn into five million over the course of a of a working lifetime. So, when did you guys get B Corp status? That came over the line. We got accredited in the summer of 2020. So it was about a year after the first version of uh, of our offering went live. Uh, it took us about a year to get it to get it done and to go through the accreditation. And it's something that 
that Matt and I had discussed before we even launched and we discussed at the beginning of, uh, of uh, us having the conversations because we felt like we, uh, we were kind of set up naturally to be a B Corp because of what we stand for and what we do and what the product that we sell. And so as soon as we, as soon as we got off the ground, we started um, uh, the application process and, uh, and went through it. And it was a very, you know, important kind of flag in the ground moment for us um, because it, it's someone else um, telling our audience and telling our stakeholders, customers, employees that we do mean what we say and we are an ethical business ourselves whilst we invest in these great businesses that are improving the world in many different ways. We're also one of them and it's very important for us to, to kind of get that message out too. And I don't know much about the B Corp process, although I know most people that we've been interviewing on this podcast have got B Corp accreditation, but what bits did you fly through and what bits did you stumble at? Well, I think the bits that we, that we you know, for the, for the people listening, it's a, it, is a, it is a very rigorous process. In fact, that we obviously are an FCA regulated business and it's, I would say it's, it, it's uh, similar in, in terms of detail and depth it, uh, to get regulated by the FCA as it is to become a B Corp. And most companies obviously can't become B Corps and get rejected from the, from the process because they don't meet the, the minimum standards. So I think the things that we score naturally on are obviously the product and service that we sell is obviously very impactful and that scores very highly. Things like um, everybody who works for Circa 5000 is a shareholder, is an equity owner in the business. So that gives everyone a stake, uh, a, a literal stake in the business and that scores very, very highly on uh, on uh, uh, with the B Corp. And I think the things that, that we had to develop as we were going through, because we're not, we weren't a massive organization, we're still not. And at the time we were probably, you know, eight to 10 people. We naturally didn't have some of the, some of the policies and procedures in place that massive corporations have. And so some of those things had to be put together. Um, and some of those things, the, the B Corp just made an assessment and judgment on where we we're up to and kind of we went through. So yeah, some things we scored naturally highly on, but some things because we were, we were a new and young company, um, we had to develop as we went through it. As the company grows, will every employee that comes on board also be a shareholder? It's 100% our ambition to have everybody working here as an equity holder in the business because I think it's fundamentally important. Matt and I have worked at businesses where that kind of was the case and wasn't the case. And I think it engenders an ownership mentality for people, which I think is exceptionally important for us in the business that we run. Um, and I think it's very, very important for people to have to feel like they have a stake in the business, literally, and that they can help manage the business into the future via their own actions and they get a share in the result of that. I think that's an exceptionally important thing for, for people to feel. Yeah, I don't think it's it, it, I don't think it's just a give in terms of we you look at it in that way, in terms of, oh, you know, you join this company and we'll give you equity. I think actually what it does is we're a small team, we're a highly ambitious company, and often people have to swim outside their lane or they have to sort of pick up you know there's a task to do that fits in nobody's particular job description and therefore we're asking people to act like owners of the business where they will pull in the same direction to help grow and to help make it make it a success so i think it it's um it's about culture building as well as just rewarding people in sort of value terms that um idea of ownership is you know quite important i think when you put it like that you really aren't going to be getting employees that rock up, check in, do the job and check out and go home. You know, they probably really put their all into into the work that they do for you guys. Yeah, I think on your point, Matt, you don't, we're not just gifting it out. Everybody here who has equity really earns their equity. Um, and so it's not just a day one, here you go, here's, here's 10% of the business. It's, uh, it's very much earned. And I think it's the right, it's the right thing to do. It's the right way around to do it. Is, um, is people get in, they work exceptionally hard and they're, and they're very well rewarded um, for that work. 
every employee that you get into the business, doesn't that um, diminish the percentage that your current employees have? Ultimately, yes, but the percentage is not the most important thing. It's the value that's associated with the percentage that you have because as the business grows and say, you know, we raise external funding as a business because we're not profitable yet. We're probably 18 to 24 months away from that moment. So that that dilutes people's equity percentage. But as long as the value of the business is improving every year, that's the most important thing. So the value of your equity is the most important as opposed to the percentage you own in the business. And for people who like me, I guess, who know nothing about investing, saw your website and thought, great graphics, great brand. You know, you can download, I looked at your 2021 report, thought that was great, really transparent, you know, liked that you were um, talking about investing in pharmaceuticals and um, like regenerative farming. But before somebody actually picks up the phone or emails you guys to say, i you know, I want in. Um, and they're a little bit nervous because the idea of investing is quite scary. Is there anything that people can like read or watch on YouTube that can kind of give them a basic knowledge that if one of your team was talking to them, they would be able to say, yeah, okay, I understand what this person's talking to me about. Or do you guys educate as well as invest? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we obviously try to provide a lot of content um both in the app and then on the website um as well tom and i also do a weekly podcast um which is called impact investing where we we sort of talk about the the basics of getting started as an impact investor how you should think about your own money some of the big economic topics that are going on in the world on any given week um i think the point of us having that minimum investment of five pound is that the best thing you can do to start investing for your own future is to start and start at a level that is small enough to feel comfortable for you. And then as your confidence grows, as you as you get more experienced, you increase those amounts and you start to get serious about building an investment pot for your own future. So we provide a lot of content in app for people who have accounts open with us and you know, the barrier to getting to that stage is five five quid. So, you know, I think that's that's what I would advise to do. And if you feel like you are maths illiterate or um, you just are not a numbers person at all, like what's your advice to somebody to help them kind of get over that anxiety? I mean, I don't think you necessarily need to be um, particularly mathematical to get started investing i mean you can treat it as a savings account the difference between a savings and investment account is your savings account will be flat it won't go down but it also won't go up very much and over the long term you know especially with inflation running high the real the real value of your money will go down in cash at the moment the way cash rates are and the way the way inflation is running the main barrier and the main hurdle you have to get over as a as a new investor is not a technical one it's not a mathematical one it's an emotional one and it's that emotional difference of watching your money fluctuate in value so over the long term investments go up you know that they they tend to go up uh, above inflation over really long time periods 10 20 30 years in the short term, every day, they can either go up or they can go down. And that's just a little, you know, a little over 50% of the time they go up and a little under 50% they go down on any given day. But it's time. So it's getting used to seeing your money fluctuate in value and then being able to commit to it for the long time and not panic if it starts to go down. They're the, they're the big barriers for new investors. But, uh, you know, you just have to look at historic charts of the stock market to see that over the long term, the trend is 
One of the investors who I constantly see get quoted is Warren Buffett. Is it Warren? Am I saying that right? And I don't know why he is just the face. He's just his face is everywhere. His quotes are everywhere. Like, like what's his significance in the world of investing? Well, he's probably the he's the he's one of the wealthiest, obviously, people in the world, um, and one of the most successful investors of all time. And if you were to summarize his uh, investment type, it's because his long his time horizon is the longest out of everybody. So he makes these fundamental value driven, i.e., looking for value in the in the thing that he buys, investment based decisions over decades long time horizons, and lets that compound over time horizons that are that are super long term. Um, and he invests in things that he understands and doesn't go near anything that he doesn't understand. You know, his understanding is very, very deep on a lot of, a lot of topics, but he doesn't go into anything that because it's popular or it's the thing of the moment. In fact, he does a lot of things that would be seen as old fashioned or, you know, not the cool thing to do because he thinks that that stacks up from an investment perspective. But the most important thing to, to remember for people that, that aren't really aware of him is he's one of the most successful investors of all time. He's got one of the greatest track records and he has a super, super long term time horizon. And that ties in with the way, the, the way that we see investing too. My final question of the podcast is how do you both relax? How are you connected to your outdoors environment? And what's Circa 5000's tie to the Blue Earth Summit? What's relax mean, sorry? <laughs> yeah, sorry, I forgot you work in investment. There's absolutely no time for relaxing. <laughs> My main form of relaxing, apart from going to the gym, is playing golf outside, but getting very angry whilst I do it. That's my main, it's a different type of anger is my form of relaxing. No, I, I f- uh, family, friends and, and sport is basically how I relax, I would say. Yeah, and I, I have three kids. So my, my time is work in the week and, and with the kids at the weekend. So it's a different form of relaxing. In terms of how we're tied to the, the Blue, to Blue Earth Summit, I mean, obviously, you know, the, the DNA of what we do, I think is very in keeping with the DNA of the Blue Earth Summit. Um, trying to... Uh, we're trying to steward the financial services industry, the investment industry, something better that benefits people and planet. And I think that's you know directly um, linked to a lot of the sessions that are going on at the Blue Earth Summit and the, and the very nature of the Blue Earth Summit itself. So I think that um, we should have been there before is all I would say. And I think we'll be a, we'll be a mainstay of it going forward. Blue Earth Summit is happening from the 11th to the 13th of October 2022 in the great city of Bristol. We believe in the power of the outdoors to improve our health and further establish purpose-led business. Register your interest at blueearthsummit.com.